Welcome everybody, my name is Makal Nasrani, and this is Islam for Christians. Episode 2, Apples to Apples, Comparing Christianity to Islam. I thought about starting this podcast with the basics of Islam, the five pillars, Quran, Muhammad, history, etc. But so much of that is readily accessible, and we will get into many of those things later on. I thought it would serve any listeners out there to start with how to think about Islam within a Christian framework. This is, after all, a podcast for Christians interested in Islam. Fair warning, this episode will be full of analogies. Analogies are not perfect, otherwise they wouldn't be analogies. Analogies should always be considered imperfect unless stated otherwise. They are useful, however, and that's why I'm using them. The purpose is to paint with broad strokes to introduce the most important information to as many people as possible. We're building the hull of a boat here. The only thing that matters is that it floats in still waters. God willing, or inshallah, as the Muslims say, we can revisit some of these things later and add paint, a rudder, sails, etc. But for now, just stay in dry dock with me for a while. I'll start with the big three and add on a few more, less important comparisons. But the big three you should drill into your head are these. Number one, Jesus equals the Quran. Number two, Mary equals Muhammad. And number three, the Bible equals the Hadith. Number one, Jesus equals the Quran. Jesus is often compared to Muhammad, and with good reason. They're easily the two most influential people in history. But the work and resulting beliefs about them are extremely different. Jesus claimed to be the literal word of God, actually holy and in and of himself. Muhammad made no such claims, but the Quran does. Muslim scholars would later argue regarding the divinity of the Quran, including very Christian-sounding arguments about whether the Quran itself was created or uncreated. If Jesus was Emmanuel, God in us, the word of God expressed as a person and then in people. The Quran is God as expressed in the Arabic language, first as an oral tradition and then in written form. Funny enough, if we were only looking at Muslim beliefs, Jesus does actually equal Muhammad. In Islam, both Jesus and Muhammad were entrusted with critical messages, Jesus the gospel and Muhammad the Quran. But if we take the Christian version of Jesus and the Muslim version of Muhammad, The two are apples to oranges. True story. When I was in social studies as a child, either middle school or early high school, I can't remember really, we learned the basics of several world religions. When we learned about the prophet Muhammad, the first thought that came to my head was, is that all? Just a prophet? There's been hundreds of those. I'll see your prophet and raise you one son of God. Only much later did I realize this was an apples to oranges comparison. A Muslim would probably agree with some of my early thinking, but add, I'll see your Jesus with the message of our prophet, the Quran. Anyway, Jesus and the Quran are treated quite similar in each faith, complete with divisions over whether the Quran slash Jesus is created or uncreated. It has strong echoes of the early church regarding Jesus' divinity, and both draw major implications from whether the direct word of God has existed since the beginning or was willed into existence by the Father. The implications are probably more important for Christians, who have a far greater emphasis on theology than Muslims, but both religions debated these things very early on. 
In Islam, this debate was particularly fierce in the Middle Ages, when Baghdad was the political capital of the world. The Muslims discussed theology of the Quran like the Greek philosophers that they had uh, so thoroughly revered, and also like early Greek-speaking Christians discussed Jesus. So to recap, don't compare Jesus to Muhammad. Compare him to the Quran. Number two, Mary equals Muhammad. Muhammad is the founder of Islam. So who is his Christian equivalent? The initial thought is of an Old Testament prophet, perhaps Abraham, a godly man struggling in a pagan world. Kind of, but if you want a good apples-to-apples comparison, I would see Muhammad as the equivalent of Mary. This relates to the first analogy. Ask yourself this. If Jesus is the Quran, then who was the pure vessel needed to bring these incredible divine things into being? Neither came to us directly. Jesus was born of a woman, and the Quran was born of Muhammad. This is why there's such an emphasis on the purity of both. Mary's most famous quality is that she was a virgin, the importance being not the inherent sinfulness of sexuality, which is debatable, but the idea that the Jesus-God-human hybrid has a divine origin. If she is a virgin, there's no question about whether some human man snuck his DNA into Mary at any point. God the Father is an actual father here, the genesis of so many aspects of the Christian faith. It allows for Jesus to be divine, and it foreshadows that most beautiful Christian concept of Emmanuel, God in us. Please don't interpret this suggestively accrude, but God was literally in Mary at the beginning. Later, God would be in us. By the way, if you laughed, go ahead and say about 20 Hail Marys, give 20 bucks to a homeless guy, and then Google that portrait of Jesus laughing. Okay. Of critical importance here is the purity of the messenger to validate the authenticity of the message. The same is true of Muhammad. Mary is not the only one surrounded by the stories to suggest the purity of God's vessel. Muhammad was said to literally have his heart taken from his chest and purified by an angel. His nickname as a child and beyond was Al-Amin, which means someone who is trusted. As an adult, he was trusted in the community to resolve disputes because his honesty was so respected. And it was also for that reason that he was invited to Medina as a peacemaker that started the famous Hijra journey that marks the start of the Muslim calendar. This is also the reason for the importance of the controversial Satanic verses. Just a quick primer for those who don't know what I'm referring to. Keep in mind, this isn't in the Quran or any religiously authoritative text. Basically, in the early days of Islam, Muhammad was causing quite a stir in Mecca with his uncompromising monotheism. And the town, and possibly Muhammad, wasn't super thrilled about the tension this was causing in what was a city dedicated to paganism. When he was discussing religion, he recalled a revelation from the angel Gabriel, but was tempted by Satan to add a few lines compromising or even complimenting revered pagan deities. This was quickly discovered and remedied, and it was never repeated. As I understand it, he was basically ad-libbing off an old revelation to relieve tension. It's a natural instinct for anyone with Muhammad's personality. This is seen as a slander in modern times, mostly because it can be seen to undermine the purity of the messenger and thus of the message. It's not like the Quran had been written and codified yet. Muhammad had the only copy in his mind. 
This was like a computer virus being introduced into the only copy of a critical document. If not isolated and purged, it can corrupt the whole thing. After all, if Satan fooled Muhammad once, who's to say he didn't do it again? Just like if Mary were not a virgin, who's to say the Holy Spirit really did impregnate her? This was a story that floated around in the early centuries of Islam, similar to non-canonical gospels in Christianity. It's in the earliest known biographies of Muhammad, including the Oxford University Press bio I can see in my bookshelf right now. These early sources were Muslims, and they clearly didn't see this as a problem. But as the theology matured, Muslim theologians saw this as a clear danger. It was expunged from the faith like a pre-Constantine Christian heresy. This was considered dangerous. I can see it the other way, though. I think the story of the satanic verses actually increases Muhammad's credibility. Who but an honest man would actually admit to something like that? It doesn't compromise the Quran in any way, and it's not like those verses ended up in the Quran. But modern Muslims vehemently disagree. I think they're wrong, but I understand their point of view. As an aside, you may have heard the name Satanic Verses in relation to Salman Rushdie. It's the title of the book the Iranian clerics hated so much they ordered him to be killed. So, to recap, both Mary and Muhammad were the pure vessel worthy to transmit the word of God. Number three, the Bible equals the Hadith. The Bible is an all-time bestseller for many reasons, and one of them is that it's not just a holy book. It's a story with a narrative arc, complete with a definitive beginning and an end. The Quran has no such polish, and is basically a collection of chapters called surahs, listed from the longest to the shortest. As I always tell people interested in Islam, read the Quran backwards. I cannot stress that enough. If you start at the beginning, you'll check out in 10 minutes and maybe never pick it up again. The really good stuff is in the back, and it's more poetic and powerful. But as I noted earlier, the Quran is Jesus, not the Bible. The Islamic equivalent of the Bible, roughly speaking, is the Hadith. The Hadith is a collection of the sayings and deeds of the Prophet Muhammad, particularly important in creating Islamic law and giving context to elements of the Quran. In Islamic fashion, this is more of a history exercise than a literary one, so there is no overarching narrative of the reports. In fact, many reports are found in multiple Hadith collections. A standard Hadith has two parts. The first is the Isnad, or chain of reporters. It's critical that the chain of custody, so to speak, go back to the companion of the Prophet. Like the canonization of the Gospels, this became necessary as people began to make things up to support a political or theological position. All Hadith are now classified as Sahih, Hassan, or Daif. In English, that's sound, good, and weak. The second part is the story itself, which is usually not too long. Here's an example of a common Hadith. This is the one where the famous five pillars of Islam come from. On the authority of Abi, Abd Ir Rahman Abdullah, the son of Umar ibn al Khattab, who said, I heard the messenger of Allah say, Islam has been built on five pillars, testifying that there is no deity worthy of worship except Allah, and that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah, establishing the salah or prayer, paying the zakat, which is the obliga obligatory charity 
making the Hajj, it's a pilgrimage to the house, meaning uh, Mecca, and fasting during Ramadan. This hadith is from both Bukhari and Muslim, one of six major hadith collections. Unless you're particularly hardcore, Sahih and Muslim are sufficient. Um, but the other four are Abu Daud, Al-Nisa, Al-Tirmidhi, and Ibn Majah. Again, this is not like the Bible where Mark or Matthew collect the information and present it in a nice readable narrative. The Hadith look more like what historians read before they turn it into a book. So, theologically, what is the equivalent of the Bible? In the vast majority of the Bible itself is not the Word of God, meaning it's not God's essence. That's Jesus. God is in Jesus, and God is in us as a result. God's essence is not a collection of words. The Bible is the historical record of God, or as some might say, the people of God, which is how we know about Jesus and the prophets. It's why the early church fathers were so freaking careful about which gospels made the canon. The same is true of the Hadith in Islam. It supports the holy words of the Quran by telling of the words and deeds of the author, for lack of a better word. Technically, Muhammad is not the author of the Quran. God is. But neither is it true that Muhammad's robe was entirely passive. The messenger is critical. So it's important to understand the messenger to understand the Quran. Okay, those are the big three. But I want to add three lesser, shorter analogies. Number one, correct thought equals correct action. Meaning Christianity, correct thought, equals Islamic correct action. Where is the source of the river of good deeds? For Christians, particularly Protestants, right belief is the source, and good works flow from that. It's why Europe exploded into sectarian wars after the Reformation. Theology is that important. For Christians, if the source is pure, the good river will now go where it needs to go on its own. For Muslims, it's the banks of the river that are most important. Right practice and good deeds keep you on the right course to ultimate success. It's why Christians tend to focus on theology, and Muslims tend to focus on law. The same is true when it comes to salvation. In legal terms, Christian salvation is not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. You practically have to become like God to be saved. This high bar is why Jesus is so critical to, to a decent afterlife. The legal bar in Islam is much more of a preponderance of the evidence used in civil court. If you're good enough, you're in. Pseudo-divinity is not required. This is why Muslims focused on correct practice. In the few classes I have taught on this subject, this concept seemed particularly difficult for Protestant students to grasp. That's works righteousness, they'd say, taught from birth to abhor one of the things Martin Luther and many others railed against. It was a bit easier for Catholics. But really, the Protestant students were right. It is works righteousness. And if works are what get you to heaven, it's pretty damn important that you understand what is good and what is bad. Thus, the emphasis on Islamic law. Number two, baptism equals the shahada. 
The Shahada is the Muslim profession of faith. There is no God but God, and Muhammad is the messenger of God. Another way to say that is God is the only God, and I know that because Muhammad is the messenger of God. The first part is buffeted by the second. It's how we know the first part is true. Like baptism, it's the formal ritual that brings you into the religious community. And like baptism, it's a first step on a very long journey. Number three, Sunday equals Friday. Short preamble note, no respect to Seventh-day Adventists who make a very good point, but for the vast majority of Christians, Sunday is the holy day. The Muslim Sabbath is Friday and is more similar to the Christian concept of the Sabbath than the Jewish one. All males are required to attend the Friday afternoon prayer service, which is similar to a Christian service complete with a sermon. There is no obligatory rest in the Jewish sense either. Most Muslims stop whatever they're doing, attend Friday service, and go back to the rest of their day, kind of like a Sunday morning, except in the afternoon. So that's all I can think of right now, uh, but I will probably sprinkle in a few more analogies as the podcast continues. So thank you, and I'll talk to you next time. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to Islam for Christians. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep this show ad-free, you can also visit my Patreon page and subscribe. I'm at patreon.com slash Islam for Christians. That's patreon.com slash Islam for Christians.